0: mentioned in his father's will there is no official record of his residence at the university but the diary of the ref richard maddox tells us that he was at antwerp in 1583 and was once of Oriel college he married and sudden in 1593 and had a family he is supposed to have died shortly after the publication of his last work fantastic case 1626 breton found a patron in mary countess of pembroke and wrote much in her honor until 1601, when she seems to have withdrawn her favor. It is probably safe to supplement the meager record of his life by accepting as autobiographical some of the letters signed and be in a post with a packet of mad letters 1603, enlarged 1637. The 19th letter of the second part contains a general complaint of many griefs and proceeds as follows: Half another been wounded in the wars, fared hard, lain in a cold bed, many a better storm. And been at many a hard banquet. All these had I, another, imprisoned. So had I, another, long been sick. Eh? So had I, another, plagued with an inquiet life. So had I, another, indebted to his heart's grief. And fame would pay and cannot. So am I. Breton was a facile writer, popular with his contemporaries, and forgotten by the next generation. His work consists of religious and pastoral poems, satires, and a number of miscellaneous prose tracts. His religious poems are sometimes wearisome by their excessive fluency and sweetness, but they are evidently the expression of a devout and earnest mind. His praise of the Virgin and his references to Mary Magdalene have suggested that he was a Catholic, but his prose writings abundantly prove that he was an ardent Protestant. Breton had little gift for satire, and his best work is to be found in his pastoral poetry. His passionate shepherd 1604 is full of sunshine and fresh air, and of an affected deity. The third pastoral in this book, Who Can Live in Heart So Glad as the Merry Country Lad, is well known, with some other of uh, Breton's daintiest poems, among them the lullaby, Come Little Babe, Come Silly Silly. It is incorporated in A. H. Boland's lyrics from Elizabethan Romances 1890. His keen observation of country life appears also in his prose Idol, With Strenchmore, a conference betwixt a scholar and an angler, and in his Fantastic Days, a series of short prose pictures of the months the Christian festivals and the hours, which throw much light on the customs of the times. Most of Breton's books are very rare and have great bibliographical value. His works, with the exception of some belonging to private owners, were collected by Dr. A. B. Grossart in the V.04P.050 to Church City Worthy's library in 1879, with an elaborate introduction quoting the documents for the poet's history. Breton's Poetical Works the titles of which are here somewhat abbreviated include the works of a young with 1577, a flourish upon fancy 1577, the pilgrimage to paradise 1592, the countess of Pembroke's passion is first printed by J O halliwell Phillips in 1853, Pasquill's fool's cap, entered at Stationer's Hall in 1600, Pasquill's Mistress 1600, Pasquill's pass a and pass f not 1600, melancholic humours 1600. Marie Magdalen's Love, A Solemn Passion of the Soleil's Love 1595, the first part of which, a prose treatise, is probably by another hand, the second part, a poem in six-line stanza, is certainly by Breton, a divine poem, including, The Ravished Soul, and, The Blessed Weeper, 1601, an excellent poem, Upon the Longing of a Blessed Heart 1601, The Soleil's Heavenly Exercise 1601, The Soleil's Harmony 1602, Old Amad Cap New Bailey Mothry, 1602, The Mother's Blessing 1602, A True Description of Attemptfulness 1602, The Passionate Shepherd 1604, The Soleil's Immortal Crown 1605. The Honor of Valor 1605, An Invective Against Treason I Would and I Would Not 1614, Brighton's Bower of Delights 1591. Edited by Dr. Grossart in 1893. An unauthorized publication which contained some poems disclaimed by Breton, the Arbor of Emerus Devices entered at Stationer's Hall. 1594. Only in part Breton's, and contributions to England's Helicon and other miscellanies of verse. Of his 22 prose tracts may be mentioned with Trenchmore 1597. The Will of With 1599. A Post with a Packet of Mad Letters 1603. Sir Philip Sidney's Aurania by NB 1606. Mary Magdalene's Lamentations, 1604, and the Passion of a Discontented Mind, 1601, are sometimes, but erroneously, ascribed to Breton. This poem, however, comes from the Arbor of Amorous Devices, which is only in part Breton's work. Breton de los Herrereros, Manuel, 1796 Spanish dramatist, was born at Quelgona on the 19th of December, 1796, and was educated at Madrid enlisting on the 24th of May 1812, he served against the French in Valencia and Catalonia, and retired with the rank of corporal on the 8th of March 1822. He obtained a minor post in the civil service under the Liberal government, and on his discharge determined to earn his living by writing for the stage. His first piece, A Love Eges Virulas, was produced on the 14th of October 1824, and proved the writer to be the legitimate successor of the younger Morat his industry was astonishing, between October 1824 and November 1828, he composed 39 plays, six of them original, the rest being translations or recasts of classic masterpieces, in 1831 he published a translation of Fibelius, and acquired by it an inherited reputation for scholarship which secured for him an appointment as sub-librarian at the National Library, but the theater claimed him for its own, and with the exception of Elena and a few other pieces in the fashionable romantic vein, his plays were a long series of successes. His only serious check occurred in 1840, the former liberal had grown conservative with age, and in Lo Pancho he ridiculed the National Guard. He was dismissed from the National Library, and for a short time was so unpopular that he seriously thought of emigrating to America, but the storm blew over. And within two years Breton de los Herreros had regained his supremacy on the stage. He became secretary to the Spanish Academy, quarreled with his fellow members, and died at Madrid on the 8th of November 1873. He is the author of some 360 original plays, 23 of which are in prose. No Spanish dramatist of the 19th century approaches him in comic power, in festive invention, and in the humorous presentation of character. While his metrical dexterity is unique, Marcelo Equal de Losters, 1831, Murate, Y. Viras, 1837 and Lo Escala del Matrimonio 1852 still hold the stage, and are likely to hold it so long as Spanish is spoken. See Marx de Molins, Breton de los Herreros, Recuerdos de Suvida y de sus obras Madrid, 1883, Obras de Breton de Herreros 5 volumes, Madrid, 1883, Pineiro. El Romanticismo en España, Paris. 1904. J.F.K.B.R.D.S.C.H.N.E.I.D.E.R. Karl Gottlieb 1776-1848. German scholar and theologian. Was born at Gersdorf in Saxony. In 1794 he entered the University of Leipzig, where he studied theology for four years. After some years of hesitation he resolved to be ordained, and in 1802 he passed aid with great distinction the examination for candidatus theology and attracted the regard of F. V. Reinhard, author of the system Dear Christlichen Moral 1788-1815, then court preacher at Dresden, who became his warm friend and patron during the remainder of his life. In 1804-1806 Brett Schneider was private docent at the University of Wittenberg, where he lectured on philosophy and theology. During this time he wrote his work on the development of dogma systematiski and Wickling, all in dogmatic dogmatik command and in begriff den symbolisken schrift der dear evangeliske lutherisken and reformer den kirche 1805 fourth education 1841 which was followed by others including an edition of was with a latin commentary on the advance of the french army under napoleon into prussia he determined to leave wittenberg and abandon his university career through the good offices of reinhard he became pastor of Schneeberg in Saxony 1807. In 1808 he was promoted to the office of superintendent of the church at Annaberg, in which capacity he had to decide, in accordance with the canon law of Saxony, many matters belonging to the department of ecclesiastical law, but the climate did not agree with him, and his official duties interfered with his theological studies. With a view to a change he took the degree of doctor of theology in Wittenberg in August 1812. In 1816 he was appointed General Superintendent at Goltha, where he remained until his death in 1848. This was the great period of his literary activity. In 1820 was published his treatise on the Gospel of St. John, entitled Probabilia de Evangeliae Joannis Joannis Giovanni's Apostoli in which attracted much attention. In it he collected with gratefulness and discussed with marked moderation the arguments against Johannine authorship. This called forth a number of replies, to the astonishment of everyone. Brett Schneider announced in the preface to the second edition of his Dogmatique in 1822, that he had never doubted the authenticity of the gospel, and had published his probabilia only to draw attention to the subject, and to call forth a more complete defense of its genuineness. Brett Schneider remarks in his autobiography that the publication of this work had the effect of preventing his appointment as successor to Carl C. Titman in Dresden. The minister deal of von 1773-1861 denouncing him as the slanderer of John Johannes Gender. His greatest contribution to the science of exegesis was his lexicon manual Greco-Latinum in Libros Novi Testamenti 1824, Third Education 1840. This work was valuable for the use which its author made of the Greek of the Septuagint, of the Old and New Testament Apocrypha, of Josephus, and of the Apostolic Fathers. In illustration of the language of the New Testament, in 1826 he published Apologi der Neuerm Theologi des Evangelischen Deutschlands. Hugh James Rose had published in England 1825 a volume of sermons on the rationalist movement The State of the Protestant Religion in Germany, in which he classed Brett Schneider with the rationalists, and Brett Schneider contended that he himself was not a rationalist in the ordinary sense of the term, but a rational supernaturalist. Some of his numerous dogmatic writings passade through several editions. An English translation of his Manual of the Religion and History of the Christian Church appeared in 1857. His dogmatic position seems to be intermediate between the extreme school of naturalists, such as Heinrich Paulus, J.F. Rohr and Julius Webscheider on the one hand, and D.F. Strauss and F.C. Bauer on the other, recognizing a supernatural element in the Bible. He nevertheless allowed to the full the critical exercise of reason in the interpretation of its dogmas. cp. Otto Fliederer. development of theology, pages 89 ff. See his autobiography, Osmanen and Lubin, Selbstbiographie von K.G. Bretschneider, 1851, of which a translation with notes by Professor Georgie Day appeared in the Bibliotheca Sacra and American Biblical Repository, Nos. 36 and 38, 1852. 1853, Nudecker in die Audemain Kirchenzeitung 1848. Number 38, Lusty Mann. Bretschneider Memoria 1848, A.G. Thurer. Critical History of Free Thought Bankton Lectures. 1862, clock Real Encyclopedia Education 1897. B.R.D.N. A Town of Germany. In the Grand Duchy of Baden. On the Zollbach, Nine meters S.E.M. Bruchsel by rail. Pop. 194781. it has some manufactories of machinery and Japan goods, and a considerable trade in timber and livestock. Breton was the birthplace of Melanchthon 1497, and in addition to a V.04P.0503 statue of him by Drake, a memorial hall, containing a collection of his writings and busts and pictures of his famous contemporaries, has been erected, B.R.E.W.A.L.D.A a word used in the Anglo-Saxon chronicle under the date 827, and also in a charter of Edelstam, king of the English. It appears in several variant forms Brightonwilda, Bretnanwilda, and C. and means most probably, Lord of the Britons, or Lord of Britain, for although the derivation of the word is uncertain, its earlier syllable seems to be cognate with the words Britain and Britannia. In the chronicle the title is given to Egbert, king of the English, the eighth king that was Bretwilda, and retrospectively to seven kings who ruled over one or other of the English kingdoms. The seven names are copied from Bede's Historia Ecclesiastica, and it is interesting to note that the last king named, Oswe of Northumbria, lived 150 years before Egbert. It has been assumed that these seven kings exercised a certain superiority over a large part of England, but if such superiority existed it is certain that it was extremely vague and was unaccompanied by any unity of organization. Another theory is that Bretwalda refers to a war leadership, or imperium, over the English south of the Humber, and has nothing to do with Britons or Britannia. In support of this explanation it is urged that the title is given in the Chronicle to Egbert in the year in which he conquered the kingdom of the Mercians and all that was south of the Humber. Less likely is the theory of Paul Grave that the Bretwaldas were the successors of the pseudo-emperors, Maximus and Carousus, and claimed to share the imperial dignity of Rome, or that of Campbell, who derives Bretwilda from the British word breoton, to distribute, and translates it, widely ruling, with regard to Egbert the word is doubtless given as a title in imitation of its earlier use, and the same remark applies to its use in Edelstein's Charter, C.E.A. Freeman, History of the Norman Conquest, Volume I, Oxford, 1877, W. Stubbs, Constitutional History, Volume I, Oxford, 1897, J.R. Green, the Making of England, Volume I. London, 1897, F. Paul Grave, The Rise and Progress of the English Commonwealth London, 1832, J. Ann Campbell, The Saxons in England London, 1876, J. R. H. H. Celtic Britain London, 1884. B. R. U. G. H. L. or B. R. U. A. G. H. L. Peter, Flemish painter, was the son of a peasant residing in the village of Bridal near Braydot. After receiving instruction in painting from Coique, whose daughter he married, he spent some time in France and Italy, and then went to Antwerp, where he was elected into the Academy in 1551. He finally settled at Brussels and died there. The subjects of his pictures are chiefly humorous figures, like those of D.T. Nyers. and if he wants the delicate touch and silvery clearness of that master, he has abundant spirit and comic power. He is said to have died about the year 1570 at the age of 60. Other accounts give 1590 as the date of his death. His son Peter, the younger 1564-1637, known as Hel Bredel, was born in Brussels and died at Antwerp, where his Christ-bearing the cross is in the museum. Another son Jancy 1569-1642, known as Velvet Bridal, was born at Brussels. He first applied himself to painting flowers and fruits. And afterwards, acquired considerable reputation by his landscapes and sea pieces. After residing long at Cologne, he travelled into Italy, where his landscapes, adorned with small figures, were greatly admired. He left a large number of pictures, chiefly landscapes, which are executed with great skill. Rubens made use of Broidel's hand in the landscape part of several of his small pictures, such as his Vertumnus and Pomona, the Satyr viewing the sleeping nymph, and the Terrestrial Paradise brevet a diminutive of the ifR brif, a short writing, originally unofficial writing or letter, with the particular meaning of a papal indulgence, the use of the word is mainly confined to a commission, or official document, giving to an officer in the army a permanent, as opposed to a local and temporary, rank in the service higher than that he holds substantively in his corps, in the British army, brevet rank, exists only above the rank of captain, but in the United States Army it is possible to obtain a brevet as first lieutenant. In France the term breveté is particularly used with respect to the general staff. To express the equivalent of the English, Pass Staff College, PSC Breviary Lat. Breviarium. Abridgement. Epitome. The book which contains the offices for the canonical hours. I.e. the daily service of the Roman Catholic Church. As compared with the Anglican Book of Common Prayer it is both more and less comprehensive, more in that it includes lessons and hymns for every day in the year, less, because it excludes the Eucharistic office contained in the Missal, and the special offices connected with Baptism, Marriage, Burial, Ordination, and C., which are found in the Ritual or the Pontifical. In the early days of Christian worship, when Jewish custom was followed, the Bible furnished all that was thought necessary, containing as it did the books from which the lessons were read and the Psalms that were recited. The first step in the evolution of the breviary was the separation of the Psalter into a choir book. At first the president of the local church bishop or the leader of the choir chose a particular psalm as he thought appropriate. From about the 4th century certain psalms began to be grouped together, a process that was furthered by the monastic practice of daily reciting the 150 psalms. This took so much time that the monks began to spread it over a week, dividing each day into hours, and allotting to each hour its portion of the Psalter. St. Benedict in the 6th century drew up such an arrangement, probably, though not certainly, on the basis of an older Roman division which, though not so skillful, is the one in general use. Gradually there were added to these Psalter choir books additions in the form of antiphons, responses, collects or short prayers, for the use of those not skillful at improvisation and metrical compositions. Jean Belleth, a 12th century liturgical author, gives the following list of books necessary for the right conduct of the canonical office, the antiphonarium, the Old and New Testaments, the Passionaries Liber and the Legendaries dealing respectively with martyrs and saints, the Homiliaries Homilies on the Gospels, the Sermolobus Collection of Sermons and the Works of the Fathers. Besides, of course, the Psalterium and the Collectarium. To overcome the inconvenience of using such a library the Breviary came into existence and use. Already in the 8th century Prudentes, Bishop of Troyes, had in a breviarium salteri made an abridgment of the Psalter for the laity, giving a few psalms for each day, and Alcuin had rendered a similar service by including a prayer for each day and some other prayers, but no lessons or homilies. The breviary rightly so called, however, only dates from the 11th century, the earliest containing the whole canonical offices of the year 1099 and is in the Mazarin Library. Gregory II, Pope 1073-1085, II, simplified the liturgy as performed at the Roman court, and gave his abridgment the name of breviary, which thus came to denote a work which from another point of view might be called a plenary, involving as it did the collection of several works into one. There are several extant specimens of 12th century breviaries, all Benedictine, but under innocent III, Pope 1198-1216 their use was extended. Especially by the newly founded and active Franciscan order, these preaching friars, with the authorization of Gregory IX, adopted with some modifications, e.g., the substitution of the Gallican for the Roman version of the Psalter the breviary hitherto used exclusively by the Roman court, and with it gradually swept out of Europe all the earlier partial books, legendaries, responsories, and c. and to some extent the local breviaries, like that of Cerum. Finally, Nicholas I. I. I, Pope 1277–1280, adopted this version both for the Curia and for the Basilicas of Rome, and thus made its position secure. The Benedictines and Dominicans had breviaries of their own. The only other types that merit notice are one, the Mozarabic breviary, once in use throughout all Spain, but now confined to a single foundation at Toledo. It is remarkable for the number and length of its hymns, and for the fact that the majority of its collects are addressed to God the Son. To the Ambrosian, now confined to Milan, where it owes its retention to the attachment of the clergy and people to their traditionary rites, which they derive from Saint Ambrose's liturgy. V.04p.0504 Till the Council of Trent, every bishop had full power to regulate the breviary of his own diocese, and this was acted upon almost everywhere. Each monastic community also had one of its own. Pious V. Pope, 1566-1572. However, while sanctioning those which could show at least 200 years of existence, made the Roman obligatory in all other places, but the influence of the court of Rome has gradually gone much beyond this, and has superseded almost all the local uses. The Roman has thus become nearly universal, with the allowance only of additional offices for saints specially venerated in each particular diocese. The Roman breviary has undergone several revisions, The most remarkable of these is that by Francis Quignanus, Cardinal of Santa Croce in Jerusalem 1536, which, though not accepted by Rome, formed the model for the still more thorough reform made in 1549 by the Church of England, whose daily morning and evening services are but a condensation and simplification of the breviary offices. Some parts of the prefaces at the beginning of the English prayer book are free translations of those of Quignanus. The Pian breviary was again altered by Sixtius V in 1588, who introduced the revised Vulgate text, by Clement VII, in 1602 through Baronis and Bellarmine, especially as concerns the rubrics, and by Urban VIII, 1623-1644, a purist who unfortunately tampered with the text of the hymns, injuring both their literary charm and their historic worth. In the 17th and 18th centuries a movement of revision took place in France and succeeded in modifying about half the breviaries of that country. Historically, this proceeded from the labors of Jean DeLonoy 1603-1678, occurred de Saints, and louis Sebastian named Attilamont, who had shown the falsity of numerous lives of the saints, while theologically it was produced by the Port Royal School, which led men to dwell more on communion with God as contrasted with the invocation of the saints. This was mainly carried out by the adoption of a rule that all antiphons and responses should be in the exact words of Scripture, which, of course, cut out the whole class of appeals to created beings, the services were at the same time simplified and shortened, and the use of the whole Psalter every week which had become a mere theory in the Roman breviary, allowing to its frequent supersire on by saints' day services was made a reality. These reformed French breviaries e.g. the Paris Breviary of 1680 by Archbishop François de Harley 1625-1695 and that of 1736 by Archbishop Charles Gaspard galong de Vintimille 1655-1746 show a deep knowledge of Holy Scripture and much careful adaptation of different texts, but during the pontificate of Pius IX, a strong ultramontane movement arose against them. This was inaugurated by Ron Lambert but its literary advocates were chiefly Dom Leranger, a learned Benedictine monk, abbot of Solsmys, and Louis-Francois Vuilliat 1813-1883 of the Universitiers, and it succeeded in suppressing them everywhere, the last diocese to surrender being Orléans in 1875. The Jansenist and Gallican influence was also strongly felt in Italy and in Germany, where breviaries based on the French models were published at Cologne, Muenster, Mainz and other towns. Meanwhile, under the direction of Benedict XVI, Pope 1740-1758, a special congregation collected many materials for an official revision, but nothing was published. Subsequent changes have been very few and minute. In 1902, under Leo XIII, a commission under the presidency of Monsignor Louis Duchess was appointed to consider the breviary, the Missal, the Pontifical and the Ritual. The beauty and value of many of the Latin breviaries were brought to the notice of English churchmen by one of the numbers of the Oxford tracts for the times, since which time they have been much more studied, both for their own sake and for the light they throw upon the English prayer book. From a bibliographical point of view some of the early printed breviaries are among the rarest of literary curiosities, being nearly local, the copies were not spread far, and were soon worn out by the daily use made of them. Doubtless many editions have perished without leaving a trace of their existence, while others are known by unique copies. In Scotland the only one which has survived the convulsions of the 16th century is that of Aberdeen, a Scottish form of the Sarum office, revised by William Elphinstone Bishop 1483-1514, and printed at Edinburgh by Walter Chapman and Andrew Miller in 1509-1510. Four copies have been preserved of it, of which only one is complete but it was reprinted in facsimile in 1854 for the Bannadine Club by the munificence of the Duke of Buckluch. It is particularly valuable for the trustworthy notices of the early history of Scotland which are embedded in the lives of the national saints. Though enjoined by royal mandate in 1501 for general use within the realm of Scotland, it was probably never widely adopted. The new Scottish pro-prime sanction for the Roman Catholic province of St. Andrews in 1903 contains many of the old Aberdeen collects and antiphons. The Sarum or Salisbury breviary itself was very widely used. The first edition was printed at Venice in 1483 by Reinhard di Novi Maggio in Folio, the latest at Paris, 1556, 1557. While modern breviaries are nearly always printed in four volumes, one for each season of the year. The editions of the Sarov never exceeded two parts, contents of the Roman breviary. At the beginning stands the usual introductory matter, such as the tables for determining the date of Easter, the calendar, and the general rubrics. The breviary itself is divided into four seasonal parts winter, spring, summer, autumn and comprises under each part 1 the Psalter, 2 Proprime de Tempor the special office of the season, 3 Proprime Sanctum, special offices of saints, four commune sanctum general offices for saints, five extra services. These parts are often published separately. 1. The Psalter. This is the very backbone of the breviary. The groundwork of the Catholic prayer book, out of it have grown the antiphons, responsories and versicles. In the breviary the psalms are arranged according to a disposition dating from the 8th century. As follows. Psalms like vi, with some omissions, are recited at matins. 12 each day from Monday to Saturday, and 18 on Sunday. The omissions are said at logs, prime and compline. Psalms 6, xbi, except xbi, xbi, and xhi, are said at vespers. 5 each day, psalms xbi. Centiliters are always used at logs, and give that hour its name. The text of the Psalter is that commonly known as the Gallican. The name is misleading. For it is simply the second revision AD 392 made by Jerome of the old Ila version originally used in Rome. Jerome's first revision of the Ila AD 383, known as the Roman, is still used at street peters in Rome. But the Gallican, thanks especially to St. Gregory of Tours, who introduced it into Gaul in the 6th century, has ousted it everywhere else. The Antiphonarium Bangor proves that Ireland accepted the Gallican version in the 7th century. And the English Church did so in the 10th, too. The Proprime de Tempore contains the office of the seasons of the Christian year Advent to Trinity, a conception that only gradually grew up. There is here given the whole service for every Sunday and weekday, the proper antiphons, responsories, hymns, and especially the course of daily scripture reading, averaging about 20 verses a day, and roughly arranged thus, for Advent, Isaiah, Epiphany to Septuagint. Pauline Epistles, Lent, Patristic Homilies Genesis on Sundays, Passion Tide, Jeremiah, Easter to Whitsoon Acts, Catholic Epistles and Apocalypse, Whitsoon to August, Samuel and Kings, August to Advent, Wisdom Books, Maccabees, Prophets, the extracts are often scrappy and torn out of their context. 3. The Proprime Sanctorum contains the Lessons, Psalms and Liturgical Formularies for Saints Festivals and depends on the days of the secular month. Most of the material here is hagiological biography, occasionally revised as by Leo XIII, in view of archaeological and other discoveries, but still largely uncritical, covering a great stretch of time and space. They do for the worshipper in the field of church history what the scripture readings do in that of biblical history, as something like 90 of the days in the year have, during the course of centuries, been allotted to some saint or other, it is easy to see how this section of the breviary has encroached upon the proprime de tempore, and this is the chief problem that confronts any who are concerned for a revision of the breviary. 4. The commune sanctum comprises psalms, antiphons, lessons, and c. For Feasts of various groups or classes 12 in all, e.g. Apostles, Martyrs, Confessors, Virgins, and the Blessed Virgin Mary. These offices are a very ancient date, and many of them were probably V.04p.0505 in origin proper to individual saints. They contain passages of great literary beauty. The lessons read at the Third Nocturne are patristic homilies on the Gospels, and together form a rough summary of theological instruction. 5. Extra Services Here are found the little office of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the office of the Dead Obligatory on All Souls Day, and offices peculiar to each diocese. It has already been indicated, by reference to man's, logs, and C that not only each day, but each part of the day, has its own office, the day being divided into a liturgical, hours. A detailed account of these will be found in the article hours, canonical. Each of the hours of the office is composed of the same elements, and something must be said now of the nature of these constituent parts, of which mention has here and there been already made. They are, psalms including canticles, Antiphons, responsories, hymns, lessons, little chapters, versicles and collects, the psalms have already been dealt with, but it may be noted again how the multiplication of saints' festivals, with practically the same special psalms, tends in practice to constant repetition of about one-third of the Psalter, and correspondingly rare recital of the remaining two-thirds, whereas the proprime de tempor, could it be adhered to, would provide equal opportunities for every psalm. As in the Greek usage and in the Benedictine, certain canticles like the Song of Moses Exodus xv, the Song of Hannah 1 Sam, the I, the Prayer of Habakkukiah, the Prayer of Hezekiah Isaiah.